2019, Abiy Ahmed was riding high. For a year, he had been Ethiopia's prime minister, having emerged victorious from internal political jockeying at a time of deep unease and anger. He had ushered in a series of swift democratic reforms, seemingly bringing an end to decades of repression as he opened up the press and released political prisoners. Then the charismatic 43-year-old blew onto the international scene, winning the Nobel Peace Prize for reaching out and ending a decades-long stalemate conflict with neighboring Eritrea. He had solved an intractable situation, once dubbed no war, no peace. But less than a year later, on November 17, the same people that awarded him for his peacemaking efforts released a statement expressing deep concern. The reason? Abe was now at war at home against the province of Tigray, in Ethiopia's north, sandwiched between Eritrea and next to Sudan. You're listening to Beyond the Headlines. I'm your host, James Haynes-Young. And this week, we're looking at how Abe Ahmed went from Nobel Peace Prize winner to the brink of civil war in Ethiopia. It's unclear how many have died since the start of November, with communications cut off and access almost impossible. But tens of thousands have fled fighting to neighbouring Sudan, and many carry with them terrifying accounts. Even if the central government is uh, cooperate with Eritrean uh, government and with Amharic, Amhara region, uh, together they fight or kill to, specifically to uh, Tigray people. This is genocide, as to me. This is genocide. To uh, destroy from uh, Tigray to Tigray people. So how did Abe and Ethiopia get here? Well, first, let's get up to speed. Ethiopia, Africa's second most populous nation, is a complex coalition of ethnic and religious communities. Ethiopia is a federation of national entities, essentially, of, of, of federal states that make up that, that nation, but which have extremely strong uh, national sentiment. And some of that has been growing during the last two years. That's Ahmed Suleiman, a research fellow on the Horn of Africa at Chatham House, a policy institute in London. From 1991 to 2018, the country was ruled by the Ethiopian People's Revolutionary Democratic Front, a coalition of four jostling factions in which the Tigray People's Liberation Front, the TPLF, held a lot of sway. This ruling coalition is accused of presiding over years of repression, of rigged votes to retain power, and of corruption. But then in 2018, Abe became the chairman, the first leader from the Oromo, an ethnic group of around a third of Ethiopia's population with its own language. He was seen as a unifier. He was popular among his own Oromo people and even outside of the community. He was the son of a Christian and a Muslim and of mixed ethnic heritage. He surprised Ethiopians by apologising for the government's past abuses. He appeared to be drawing from his own painful experiences. In his Nobel address, the former soldier recalled his time fighting on the Eritrean border two decades ago. War is the epitome of hell for all involved, he said. He ushered in reforms and started dismantling the old systems. The TPLF represents an ethnic group uh, which is about 7 uh, million uh, currently of, of Ethiopia's 110 million population, about 6% of the population. And the, the Oromo ethnic group, which Abiy Ahmed represents, 
uh, has about 35% of the population. So significantly more. And actually an alliance between the two largest groups, the Aroma and, and the Amhara, uh, were the way that the party internally resolved itself to uh, respond to the crisis. And, and that enabled Abiy Ahmed to come through from within the system. Once he had become prime minister and, and the axis of power had changed between historically powerful northern highlands and, and the margin, more marginalized southern lowlands, things began to change very rapidly. Abiy Ahmed brought in lots of reforms into the country. He opened up political space, allowed opposition actors that had been weren't able to live in the country to come back. He you know, opened up uh, freedom of the press. He, he, he began initiating a host of institutional reforms and economic and political reforms. Um, and this brought others back into the country and uh, really created, I think, a some centrifugal forces uh, that were pulling in different directions. But for some, it was hard to miss the warning signs amid the calls for unity in Ethiopia, where some ethnic groups had pushed hard for autonomy, and sometimes with violence. Abe may have been a unifier to some, but he wasn't without enemies and opponents, even within his own Oromo people. In 2018, five Oromo suspects were charged with a grenade attack at a rally that killed two people. There were also clear tensions. Later that year, several hundred soldiers walked into the Prime Minister's office demanding a pay rise, many of them carrying arms. But the charismatic Abe diffused the situation, burnishing his credentials as a negotiator. He joked with the soldiers and then ordered them to do push-ups, getting down on the ground in his suit to join them. The tense incident ended in photos and smiles. But the seeds of today's conflict in Tigray were already laid when Abe took power. Within a year of taking office, the new prime minister dissolved the Ethiopian People's Revolutionary Democratic Front, the EPRDF, that's an acronym you'll hear a lot, and he established the Prosperity Party, aiming to completely banish 27 years of ethnic federalism in favour of a united government. Here's Samuel Getachew, a journalist in Addis Ababa who writes for The National. You know, since uh, 93, 94, uh, Ethiopia has been practicing ethnic uh, federalism, where people have become more attached to their ethnic background instead of their citizenship. So when Abiy came to power, he wanted to form a pan-Ethiopian uh, uh, political party. So uh, obviously the TPLF or EPRDF felt they were being neglected they never wanted to join his coalition. So um, they all decided to pack up and leave, even those that, that were uh, in the House of Commons members. Um, so slowly, and even the, the president of the Tigray region, who is the president, who's no longer president according to the Ethiopian government because they appointed their own uh, president uh, from Addis Ababa, he also competed to be prime minister in 2018 but he received, he was a very fringe candidate, uh, showing you that uh, the, the EPRDF, its influence in Ethiopia was dwindling. So they all packed up and left. So since then, they've been openly discussing independence um, from Ethiopia, uh, holding their own election when Ethiopia said there won't be an election because of COVID being uh, an excuse. So they almost became their own country. They were itching to be uh, an independent nation. So that's when the uh, conflict began. 
The Prosperity Party is a coalition of smaller groups, including three of the four parties under the former EPRDF. The one major faction that didn't join, the Tigray People's Liberation Front, or TPLF. The TPLF had been a powerful faction under the old system, effectively ruling the country, even though their community only makes up around 6% of the population. And now they're sidelined. You know, the last 27 years before I became to power, there was ethnic federalism that was championed in Ethiopia. So everyone was an ethnic bloc or a representative of an ethnic background. So um, the Tigris, uh, they're very minority in Ethiopia, but they, um, they controlled everything in Ethiopia. So people kept uh, looking down on them or um, seeing them as uh, taking power from the majority and owning it. Uh, there was an accusation being made that everything in Ethiopia was owned by them to uh, an average Ethiopia. Uh, Ethiopian, Ethiopia looked like South Africa, where a minority uh, white population controlled everything. Ahmed explains more about how Abe dismantled the system. When Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed came into power there, I guess the power dynamic shifted 180. So you had, you know, that 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 historical dominance from the highland, uh, Ethiopian highland communities, and uh, including the Amhara and Tigrayans, um, rebalanced with the Oromo being represented by Prime Minister Abiy coming into the power. Um, and I think some of that balance being readdressed and we saw, uh, you know, changes within institutions, be it business, be it the you know, military and intelligence and the security forces more broadly at the leadership level and different structures. And that included the removal of, you know, some senior Tigrayan officials. So there, there has been resentment uh, of that. Um, and there has been a sense from the TPLF uh, in particular that they feel target, that they have been targeted, um, you know, over the last couple of years by... Uh, Abiy Ahmed and scapegoated uh, too much for the country's ills uh, by the federal government, um, you know, leading to the position we are in now. The Tigray leaders made their feelings about the new state of affairs very clear. They rejected the Prosperity Party. Ethiopia's poll board announced in March that national elections slated for August 2020 would not happen because of COVID-19. The TPLF rejected this and held their own vote in September while saying that Abe no longer had a mandate to lead the nation. Then Abe accused the Tigray forces of a deadly attack against a military base and a series of increasing provocations to the central government. He also contends that there is nobody to talk to over the matter, asserting that the Tigray regional leaders are criminals for holding the illegal election that threatened Ethiopia's sovereignty. Ahmed explains more. So it resulted in the TPLF going forward and holding it own regional elections unilaterally and disregarding the national electoral body, setting up its own electoral body, and then moving to a situation where also down the line they refused to recognise the federal government's legitimacy and Prime Minister Abiy's legitimacy after October. I mean, in, at the same time that the Prime Minister had denounced the Tigrayan elections, uh, you know, not recognising the result and cutting ties with the regional administration as the House of Federation did um, and withholding federal budget subsidies to the region at the same time as, as accusing the TPLF of being behind 
uh, incidents of increasing violence, uh, intercommunal tension across the country. So you see that over the last couple of years, relationship between uh, the federal government led by uh, Abiy Ahmed and the Prosperity Party and the TPLF have worsened to this stage uh, to a very bad uh, position uh, ahead, of, uh, ahead of the conflict that we saw erupt on the 4th of November. 30,000 refugees have fled, the internet and phone lines in the province are shut off, and the UN has accused both sides of possible war crimes. On November 16th, the leaders in Tigray region confirmed that they had fired rockets over the border into Eritrea. They contend that in making peace with their longtime foe, Abe had found a common enemy in the Tigray leaders. The Eritrean connection is key. While Abe reached peace, there was a lingering issue over borders, one of the sources of the conflict. Eritrea was once part of Ethiopia until a referendum in 1993 saw it gain independence with 99% of the people voting in favour. But the issue of borders has sparked a two-year war in 1998. Samuel explained why peace and the borders are still controversial and how it relates to the current fighting. He points out that the EPRDF had rejected the 2000 peace deal made in Algeria to resolve the Ethiopia-Eritrea conflict saying that new borders that would be established were unacceptable. It would have seen a boundary cut through part of Tigray region, effectively splitting it in two. You know, the conflict of um, 1998, uh, people keep referring to it as a pointless uh, conflict that that killed thousands of uh, young men and women, um, is linked to this, this particular conflict. Because then, uh, while Eritrea was the one who provoked uh, the conflict, but it was EPRDF that rejected a peace agreement that was promoted and agreed on in Algiers in 2000, while both of them agreed to abide by whatever conclusion the agreement would make. uh, It was the EPRDF who rejected it at the end when they saw the conclusion uh, favoring Eritrea more than Ethiopia. It was Abiy who suddenly came in 2018 and said he would abide by the Algiers Agreement, which is, by the way, very controversial because it takes away a part of Ethiopia, including a part that's near Eritrea, uh, the Euro people of uh, Tigray, which would force them to uh, divide. They're only 40,000 to begin with. They're a very small population, but it, it forces them to, half of them go other side to Eritrea, half of them to Ethiopia, just like, uh, the German experience of the old days before the Cold War. So it's it's very unaccepted among Tigrayans. Uh, but again, Abi discussed or openly uh, said he might agree with it or he would likely agree with it in the name of peace. And that's what won him the Nobel Peace Prize at the end. But Samuel thinks that the border issue can be solved by looking at what unites the people rather than what separates them. Between uh, Ethiopians and Eritreans, while I recognize we're two different countries, um, from from what I see myself, I'm sure this will come to haunt me, is the difference you see between the Germans, the Eastern Germans and the Western Germans. Uh, they're the same people. We're the same people. We have the same culture. Our values are the same. Everything with us and Eritreans are the same. What divides both countries is just a line that's been drawn by you know the referendum that was won by them. Again, I respect they're a different country. Um, Eritrea is, is not part of Ethiopia. I, I, I know that, I understand that. But 
the people will always be the same. You know, they've been married to each other. They speak the same language. So the people are always ahead of uh, their governments. I'm sure there will be a way for them to uh, sit, sit down and discuss this and come with some kind of understanding. Terrible accounts have begun to emerge from shaken refugees. One man described people coming with knives and sticks, attacking civilians, even as the Ethiopian army stood by with tanks. Abe said his government would welcome and protect and reintegrate those who had fled. But those fleeing are very wary of the promises from the government, even as Addis Ababa denies attacking civilians. Amnesty International reported that dozens and likely hundreds of people were brutally murdered in a town in the southwest zone of Ethiopia's Tigray region on the night of the 9th of November. The Ethiopian Human Rights Commission said that it will send investigators to the area. Abe accused Tigray militias of causing the massacre. Tigray leaders deny any involvement. Abe has vowed to limit the conflict to combatants, but he also rejected compromise, promising that fighting will only end when the region's leaders and the Tigray People's Liberation Front are arrested and their arsenal destroyed. With little communication in the area, it's very hard to corroborate the information on the ground. But Samuel explains how Ethiopians have long gotten used to suddenly being cut off from the outside world. A blackout of anything is just, I don't think it's productive. I think trying to hide information uh, and suspending internet uh, communication is just crazy. We've seen it in Tanzania with the recent election. You know, when the government knew that they were losing an election, what did they do? They just go and uh, use a blackout of internet to uh, hold information. That is in the public interest to be known uh, from the public. Um, so um, in general terms, without being specific, I don't believe in any kind of blackout. I think the, the public has the right to know what happens in their own country. Nations like Ethiopia have used blackout for like forever. You know, there was a blackout in Ethiopia just in June or July of this year. So we've accepted it as part of our lives, uh, but it doesn't mean it's right. I, um, it's just wrong. While some say that the prime minister has massively overstepped, others defend his action as an attempt to prevent the very breakup of Ethiopia. Redwan Hussein, Ethiopia's ambassador to Eritrea, said he faces a very threat to his own nation. The only thing he can do is defend it. So what happens now? There have been some dialogues that have been held by the prime minister with opposition figures, we have seen those taking place. But actually to have a kind of a genuine, uh, inclusive dialogue, including the TPLF forces uh, and, and other politicians, some of, some of which are at the moment under detention, who make up part of the federalist camp, they call it, and who have very strong ethno-national bases, uh, that, that really hasn't transpired as of yet, um, and, and, and is probably what is required to help Ethiopia move forward in, in the long run. Without talk, Ahmed worries that the situation could have broader implications. We've also seen there's no real uh, dialogue on, on, on either side, no real kind of meeting in the middle on either side here. So I think there is a sense now and a worry that uh, this uh, could uh, fuel further intercommunal tension and that uh, there could 
there could be targeting and harassment of Tigrayans in, in the military and civil service. This is what has been acknowledged by the prime minister, who's also reached out to Tigrayans to, you know, to call for their support. Uh, but we've, we've also seen at the same time is actions uh, purportedly taken to remove other senior uh, Tigrayan officials from you know, positions within the African Union, from regional administration positions. I think maybe a general paranoia to try and understand where Tigrayans are and what positions, uh, you know, for what purposes, I don't know. But, but it has not helped. Uh, it does not help. Uh, this feeling that the ethnicization of this conflict could potentially spill out of control uh, and exacerbate the instability across the country. For Abe, these clashes are also about his legacy. The man who freed political prisoners has now issued arrest warrants for army officers who served in the Tigray People's Liberation Front. The man who freed the press has issued a communications blackout. Arguments can be made regarding the necessity of these actions. But ultimately, the outcomes will define whether Ethiopia's leader is a success or a failure. And Samuel says that Abe has split the nation. People who are in in the big cities, uh, people who felt neglected or ignored during the era of the TPLF, see him as um, someone who has really listened in the last two weeks um, and taken action that was consistent to what they wanted as everyday Ethiopians. But again, there's also a different side. He's become this divisive uh, figure. Uh, People who really wanted him to be consistent with the principle of uh, peaceful engagement, peaceful coexistence, are beginning to doubt whether they are the ones, whether he was the the person that they knew uh, two years ago the people that welcomed him at the airport when he won the Nobel Peace Prize and really liked him and cheered him on. So it's just, uh, you know, the last two weeks, his leadership has evolved, has changed. So he has become an open debate uh, for many Ethiopians. Will Abe ultimately be able to make new alliances with the people who declared him to have no legal right to his current position as prime minister? Will he prevent Ethiopia from breaking into smaller states all vying for independence as a humanitarian crisis escalates. Samuel recalls an image from Sudan which he believes, despite the tragedy, can be a rallying cry to overcome the conflict and avoid the devastation of growing violence. I don't know if you've seen, I've, I've been looking at an image of this old woman who crossed to the Sudanese border uh, and for a moment before she got into the border, Her son, she finds out her son had died uh, and she's like crying, hopeless, uh, just crying in the air and praying and, you know, asking what happened to my son. So she's beginning to be that um, the image that will stand out on this conflict because she's one of um, many thousands that are being affected by this conflict. You know, just like as Martin Luther King was the face of the civil rights moment of a long time ago, she's becoming, I think, that symbol, symbol or that image that stands out and tell us the real uh, face behind the numbers we hear. Because every time, you know, we listen to the UN, when they say 25,000 people have been affected, 50,000 people, it just becomes a number. But once you see the image and the families being affected, I think people will begin to understand 
this uh, conflict has to end uh, because it's just destroying so many people. You've been listening to Beyond the Headlines. I'm your host, James Haynes Young. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. And if you have time to leave a review, it'd be greatly appreciated. I'd like to thank my guests this week, Ahmed Suleiman and Samuel Getachew. We were produced this week by Taylor Heyman, Aisha Khan and Arthur Edison.